As moms, we second-guess ourselves all the time. We question our worth as women. We experience mom guilt for a million reasons. And we fail to appreciate what's beautiful about ourselves. On this episode of Rainy Moms, Terry and I interviewed Kelly Filardo, author of the book, Still Beautiful. When Kelly was a child, she suffered burns over 75% of her body and grew up feeling ugly. But she has turned tragedy into triumph. A four-time best-selling author, TEDx speaker, coach, and mom of three, Kelly teaches women how to find their self-worth and talk back to the mirror. This is such an inspirational episode with an inspirational and beautiful brainy mom. Don't miss it. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Brainy Moms, brought to you today by Learning RX Brain Training Centers. I'm Dr. Amy Moore, your host, here with my co-host, Terry Miller, coming to you as usual from Colorado Springs, Colorado. We are thrilled to have our guest today. Her name is Kelly Filardo, and she has the message that you are more than enough. Kelly's a single mom, four-time best-selling author, a documentary producer, advocate, artist, international motivational speaker, and burn survivor. She's been to the TEDx stage not once, but twice, and a documentary about her life, Still Beautiful, launched on TV Plus Goalcast with over 10 million views. Kelly is the author of Still Beautiful, a burn survivor's journey to discover true beauty. So glad that you are here with us today, Kelly. Thank you. Oh my God. I'm so honored and excited to be with you girls. This is awesome. Good. Thank you. <laughs> We've been looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, so you have so much inspiration for us today. And before we even get into all of that, I want you to give our listeners your background, your story. My story. Well, yeah, the story started when I was two and we lived on a farm and my cousins were nine and 11 and they were throwing shingles on the fire and a spark came out and landed on my dress and I exploded and So they rushed me to the hospital and I spent four months in the hospital. Every two days I'd be in the operating room for surgery. And then every two years until I was 20, I would go back to the hospital for more surgeries. And then, um, then I have also done about 40 different laser surgeries on my scars. So that's the start of my journey of being a burn survivor. Okay. I think of your mom in that when I've heard you tell that story before. Um, that's what I thought of. And I know you said in, in one interview, you talked about that your mom was quite young and here she was, I think you said she was 18 or 19. Well, my mom, a little bit of backstory on my mom, like she was 16 when she had her first baby and gave that one up for adoption. And that was back in the sixties when it was very shameful to have a baby at a wedlock. Mm -hmm. And then she got pregnant with me at 19. And then at 21, she was pregnant with my sister and I got burnt. And so I got burnt in August in 1968. And then my sister was born in November, what, like four months later, three three or four months later. Um, So yeah. So my mom was 21 years old when I got burnt. And I still remember seeing like my daughter when she was 21, I was thinking, Oh my gosh, that was my mom. She had already, she was pregnant for the third time. And, you know, in the hospital with me every day. 
And here she was fighting for my life too, being a two-year-old. They didn't think I was going to live. You know, here I am in, in the hospital and I had lost, I think I'd lost something like 16 pounds and my head was swollen like a football and wrapped up in bandages everywhere. And they just didn't think I was going to live. And here my mom is 21 years old. And my dad was, I think, 24 at the time. And it's just, yeah, it's just crazy to think how could they have gotten themselves through something so, you know, devastating and tragic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, neurologically at 21, I mean, your brain is not fully developed. I mean, you don't have the reasoning skills. You don't have the control over your big emotions yet. Um, that must have been so hard. Yeah. I mean, she's a story of overcoming too. Right. She is. So, and my mom, my mom finally forgave herself about four years ago when we had um, released the documentary, My Love Story, called Still Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And when she got to watch it, she finally forgave herself because <laughs> She was going to keep me inside to change my diaper and she didn't. And so she felt it was her fault. I got burnt because she should have been a good mom and kept me inside and changed my diaper. And this never would have happened. Right. Like, I'm not saying that's what my mom should have done. Cause I, right, I, honestly, right. I honestly believe that everything happens for a reason. And I've never, ever blamed my mom or my cousins or anybody for me getting burnt. I always knew that there was a reason I got burnt. Right. And I just had to discover that. And yeah. yeah. And, and that has led me to being a speaker. Mm-hmm. And, and it uh, wasn't, I mean, what a tragic, horrible accident. But yeah, as moms, isn't that the thing we do? We struggle with that mom yeah. guilt. Ugh. Yeah. I want to, we're going to yeah. talk about that more in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we will. We are. Yeah. <laughs> I want to, I want you to tell about what, uh, just more of your story. I just want you to your share childhood. with our listeners. Yes. Yeah, well, your childhood. What was your childhood, and your childhood like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, so when I was um, in grade five, I walked past my teacher's desk and I saw a picture someone had drawn of me that said uh, it was a circle with scribbles all over it. And it said Scarface. And so I knew that, you know, the kids were calling me the Scarface girl. And of course, I was devastated. I mean, who wouldn't be? You know, when we're that age, we just want to be beautiful and we want to be Cinderella and Snow White and you know, we just want to be loved. And, and, you know, I knew because of all my surgeries I was going through that I felt I would never be anything but the Scarface girl, right? Because we were also taught too, that the beautiful girls are scarless, mm-hmm. right? And girls with scars on their face are not beautiful. Right. And, and I was taught too, like, I always believed when I was young, like that, that you know, if someone had glasses, they could just get contacts and mm-hmm. they wouldn't be called four eyes anymore. If someone was overweight, they could just go on a diet and lose their weight and they wouldn't be called fatty fatty anymore. Right. But my scars were never going away. And so I thought I would never lose my title of being the Scarface girl. And um, I remember being 15 and I prayed to God and, and I would say, you know, dear God, please don't make me wake up in the morning. But if I have to, can I at least be scarless so I can be pretty like all the other girls? And of course, I woke up and of course, the scars were still there. <clears throat> and I just thought, well, God's not taking my scars away. My doctor's not taking my scars away. Am I supposed to be ugly forever? Right? And I never, ever thought I'd get married or have kids or, or have a good life because I just thought, well, you know, life is for the beautiful people, right? It's not for us ugly people. So, 
Yeah, you said something really profound that you learned that the mirror speaks to you very early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in fact, one of my talks that I do now is called Ugly is Always Beautiful. And that's actually one of my TEDx talks. And in there, I prove that the mirror doesn't talk. <clears throat> and the, how we learn the mirror talks is when we watch Snow White. And right. we watch Snow White <laughs> at three, four, five years old. <clears throat> and when we watch Snow White, we see the evil mirror or the evil queen talking to the mirror and the mirror talks back, you know, the big face comes out of the mirror and a, you know, booming voice talking to us. And so we learn at three, four years old that the mirror talks to us. Mm -hmm. But what we don't understand is that that voice that's in our head can be controlled and we can change that narrative. But a lot of times it's easier just to say those negative things about ourselves. I think for teen girls, young girls, teen girls, I mean, even moms, the mirror talks back to us through culture, through social media, I think. And we hear that's, that's what we see. We look in the mirror and we see that comparison and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we walk in the room and we compare ourselves to other women or other moms, And we think all these other moms have everything together. They're super moms, you know, they do everything and they get everything done and, you know, they look perfect. And then we think about ourselves and we're thinking, oh my gosh, like, how do they do it all? Like mm-hmm. I can just barely stay alive. And especially now I'm a single mom, right? I left my husband 11 years ago and um, I struggle tremendously with mommy guilt and bad mom syndrome. Right. Uh, especially being a speaker, I was traveling a lot, like probably traveling about 30 to 40 percent of my time. And I still remember, you know, one of my family members saying to me, Kel, you need to put your kids first. And I said, I can't put my kids first. I have to take that three thousand dollars speaking gig. That's going to pay my bills this month. That's yeah. going to keep, you know, food on in the in the cupboards for the kids. And and so I, a lot of times I struggled with bad mom syndrome thinking, oh my God, I'm such a bad mom that I'm not here for my kids all the time. But I had a lot of family support that was able to help them and take them over and um, take over the kids when I needed to do that. But one of the things that I did to help myself get over the, you know, the bad mom syndrome was I involved my kids. So when I was speaking, um, we started up a, a foundation called the Um, the blankets for burn kids. And basically what I did is took a painting of mine and had it made into a blanket. And then I would go, me and my son, Cody, actually would go around to different rotary clubs and we would speak about being a burn survivor and the children's burn camp. And then we would ask them if they would sponsor the blankets. And then we would give them to the kids at summer camp. And so my kids got to come with me and we would go to summer camp and we'd be giving away all these blankets to the kids and And so it was so awesome because I included my kids in what I was doing. And that would alleviate most of the the bad mom syndrome. I love that. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about how you were able to shift the narrative, you know, Mm -hmm. what, how you were able to ignore or realize that the mirror can't talk, you know, where where was that in your life where you were able to say, wait a minute, you know, I have to stop listening to these voices. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that you brought that up. So this brings me to my story of, I call it the garage sale story. 
And so what happened was I was in my forties. I was still married at the time. And we, my husband and I, and the kids went to a garage sale. And this lady says to me, they couldn't do better than that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, like I was so upset. Right. Cause I was like, <laughs> if only you knew how many surgeries I've been through, through my whole life. Right. If only you knew that I got burnt as a two-year-old and they didn't even think I was going to live. If only you knew the staring and the teasing and the bullying and the shunning and everything that I've been through, you, you wouldn't say something so hurtful. And anyways, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking, what am I going to say to this lady? So I, I said to her, I happen to think I look pretty damn good. And I turned around and I walked away and my husband got back in the car with me and uh, he said, she didn't mean it that way. And I said, she meant it how she said it. And I was so upset, like for the whole day. And finally I said to myself, why am I letting a complete stranger take my power away? I'm never going to see this lady ever again. And yet I'm letting this complete stranger make me feel ugly. And I thought to myself, that's it. I'm done. I'm done feeling ugly. I'm done, you know, letting people's thoughts or people's comments hurt me. And so I went into the mirror this day and you know how they say to you, when you go in the mirror, you should just say, I am beautiful. I am beautiful. I'm beautiful. And eventually you'll believe it. Right. Have you ever had that where people say that to you? Right. Yeah. Yeah, Just tell yourself you're beautiful. You'll you'll believe it. Positive affirmation. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And so when I would look in the mirror and say, I am beautiful, the mirror would say, no, you're not. You're ugly. You're covered in scars. Beautiful women don't have scars. And so this time I thought, I'm not going to go in the mirror and say, I am beautiful. This time, when I go in the mirror, I'm going to say, I happen to love my big, beautiful green eyes. And I didn't hear that voice. The voice didn't say anything because I believe it. And then I looked in the mirror again. And this time, you know, I looked at my nose and I said, oh, my God, I happen to love my cute little nose. And then um, I looked in the mirror again. And again, I didn't hear that voice, right? It didn't say nothing because I believe it. Then I looked in the mirror and I saw, you know, my my ear, right? My, my little ear, you know, it deformed. You know, it got burnt pretty badly in the fire. And, and um, you know, it doesn't look like a normal ear. And I thought, you know what? I happen to love my cute little ear. It makes me special. It makes me different. It makes me unique. And at one time I was going to get a new ear made. And what they would do is they were going to cut off this ear. They would put some titanium posts into my head. And then that would have to heal for six weeks. And then they would be making a mold out of this ear. And then I'd have a snap on ear. And I thought, why am I doing this? Just so somebody looking at me can feel more comfortable looking at me. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. Why? Why am I doing this? Am I doing yeah. it so I can hear better? Because ultimately, I'd love to be able to hear better. But no, that ear isn't going to make me hear any better. Mm-hmm. So I thought, why am I doing this? Just so somebody else is more comfortable. And I thought, I'm not doing this. Yeah. And so then I looked at the mirror one more time. And this time I had my favorite jeans on and I turned around, looked at my bum and I thought, oh my God, I have a cute little hot ass. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I wasn't, 
I wasn't bragging about myself. I was embracing myself. Yes. And so the next time I looked in the mirror, I didn't see all the ugly scars. I saw all the things I loved about me. And so that's why I always want to encourage people. When you look in the mirror, don't judge yourself. Just go in the mirror and pick out all the things you love about you. And it just makes it so much easier. And it just makes it so much better because we're so hard on ourselves. And when we look in the mirror, we typically will look for all the bad things. And so I want to encourage you, look for the good things about yourself, right? And that's how you're going to feel beautiful. That's how you're going to feel better about yourself. I'm thinking about like what you were talking about, bad mom syndrome and applying that not just to uh, sort of the wasted energy that we do trying to say, you know, I'm beautiful. It's okay. I'm beautiful. That the wasted energy is okay. I'm a good mom. I'm a good mom. I'm okay. You know, when we're really feeling like, no, I totally failed it with my kids this morning. I botched it. I injured them. They went to school stressed out because of me. They are going to have a bad day because I'm a bad mom. You know, we, we do all these things. And then how can I take everything that you just said? I want you to talk about now. How can I apply that to I'm a good mom, but not be so general? I've got to find the little specific things. Help me with that. (laughs) So I think what we have to do is really hang on to those moments when they tell us how much they love us. Mm -hmm. So um, I'll give you an incident. I had to drive my son to school one day. Uh, So this would have been two, three years ago. And I was feeling like a bad mom. So I'm driving him to school. And he said, you know, mom, he says, I... Um, my friends were telling me how much they don't like their moms and how upset they are with their moms. And I said to them, I can't relate. I love my mom. I'm proud of her. And so I wrote that story down, right? Because I was feeling like a bad mom. And yet my son told me how proud he is. Um, For Mother's Day, not this Mother's Day, but a year ago, my other twin Um, for Mother's Day, he didn't buy me anything and I didn't need anything, but he wrote me a letter. And as soon as he gave it to me, I started crying. I didn't even have to read it. And I was crying. Oh my God. (laughs) I don't know why it makes me cry now. (laughs) I know you got me all weepy too, right? (laughs) Because there's nothing we want more than for our kids to say that. I love you. I'm proud of you, mom. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And this beautiful letter, right? It just, you know, I, I can't even say everything, <laughs> but it was just a beautiful letter and I have it in my purse, right? Um, right now I'm having a little bit of a challenge with my daughter. And so I'm feeling like a bad mom because, you know, my daughter and I are not getting along like we could. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all my friends who have daughters all say, Kel, it's okay. You'll get through it. Eventually she'll come around. You know, meanwhile, I'm thinking, what am I doing wrong? And what did I do wrong as a mom? And what should I have done better? Um, but I just, you know, hang on to those those times when they tell us how much they love us. Or I'll reach out to them and I'll tell them I love them. Right? Like they need to hear it just as much as we need to hear it. Yeah. So to me, it's it's all about telling them how much we love them. And yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry 
to make you cry, Terry. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. No, it's inspiring and good. No, I, I, I truly did have a rough morning with my children <laughs> this morning. I was stressed and anxious about some other things going on with a different kid. And yeah. And then I kind of, you know, yeah, I didn't, I didn't do well, but then I need to hold on to the fact that, yeah, just a couple of days ago. Yeah. My 13 year old daughter said, I see Jesus in you, mommy. <laughs> and I need a, yeah, it's good. That's a good reminder that that can go so far. That's the moment of saying, I like my cute little nose. That's the moment of looking in the mirror of motherhood and saying, it's okay. I had that moment where my kid said, I'm proud of you, mom. I love you, mom. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think it just means writing those things down so we don't forget them. Right? I'm a big believer in keeping those stories so that we can go back to those happy moments when we need to hear them. Yeah. Do you write them down like in a journal or do you yeah. have some place where you put them in front of your face? What a do you do? Journal or even on your phone, right? Because you don't oh. want to forget it. So absolutely. Where wherever it doesn't matter, just write it down. Yeah, it could be a journal, it could be anywhere. Yeah. So what what I'm hearing you say is that we have to stop having this expectation of perfection, whether it's about our bodies or our faces or our ability to parent our children, um, and just focus on those moments that we can cherish where we do experience successes and where we focus on the things that we do love and appreciate about ourselves. You coined a term, flossum. I love this. Flossum, an individual who embraces their flaws and know their knows they're awesome regardless. Flossum. Oh, I love that. I did too. Yeah. So good. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so I think that we need to all say, okay, we're going to embrace our flaws because there's, I mean, there is the expectation of perfectionism is unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Right. And absolutely. And I think what happens too, like for those of us who are perfectionists or were perfectionists, is as soon as you reach the goal, you raise it higher. Oh. Yeah. Right. So an example of this is when we were doing the book launch for my still beautiful book. So I have 20 other people in the book. And so we were, you know, constantly promoting the book and you know, trying to get to a minimum of a hundred sales. And and then we reached it. And then all of a sudden, someone said, oh, my God, we made it. We made it to 100. And I said, that is so awesome. We made it to 100. Let's go to 130. Didn't even stop to celebrate that we had made it to 100. I instantly raised the goal. And then when I raised the goal, we didn't make the goal. So then, of course, I could say that I failed. Yeah. Right? And that's what we do. And so... Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that I say is instead of striving for perfection, strive for near perfect. Hmm. And when you strive to be near perfect, then you're okay with things not being totally perfect. Yeah. Right? And you set yourself up for success that way instead of for failure. So because everybody that's a perfectionist will tell you that it was not perfect. They'll always be able to find something wrong. Right? Whether it's in how they look or with how they did something, they can always find something wrong. So I always say, well, let's go for near perfect because then we'll be fine. We'll be awesome. So. We'll be flossome. Awesome. I exactly. love it. I love it. <laughs> so my um, my 17-year-old um, actually uh, 
taught the message at youth ministry Sunday night. And so I went because I wanted to hear him, him teach. And his message was that when you have an achievement mindset, then you will never achieve enough to feel fulfilled Mm. that every, like every goal will come up empty because you're just like you said, like you're, you're constantly moving, like you're moving the benchmark higher Mm -hmm. and higher and higher, and you'll never be fulfilled. And he said, instead, if we can be genuine and focus on connection, then everything else will fall into place. And I think that for a 17 year old to have that kind of wisdom, you know, that those of us in our, you know, forties and fifties haven't, haven't quite grasped yet. I mean, I think that we can apply that to parenting as well. I mean, if we focus on being genuine and connecting with our children, then the idea of perfection kind of falls by the wayside, right? Because you're going to find fulfillment in those everyday moments. I I love that because I think definitely we need to be more genuine. We need to be more authentic and more real and willing to share those uh, vulnerable moments. Um, you know, I know that there's some speakers that there's no way that they'll share some of the things that they that they do. And then there's someone like me that'll tell people that I've had a hot flash on stage, right? <laughs> and, then, and it was so funny because the whole audience started laughing. And so uh-huh. I asked my friend, I asked my best friend, why were they laughing about that? Why is that funny? And she's like, because when people are having hot flashes and they're worried about sweating, they're worried about what everybody's thinking about them. And yet you go and you put it right out there. I'm having a hot flash on stage. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're willing to be vulnerable and, and share that. And I think that is, um, as moms, I think that's what we need to do more of. Yeah. More of like, it's okay that we've had a bad morning. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean we're going to be a bad mom. It just means we had a bad morning and we know we messed up, but we know that we can, you know, do better. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I think even that, like what you just said a few minutes ago that you talked about, you know, you had this sweet, inspiring story with your son, you know, that your son had this precious, and yeah, it just brought me to tears. It's just beautiful what we all long for. But then you said, and I'm struggling with my daughter and I don't know why, why is, why should that be encouraging? to me as a fellow mom, that's so dumb. And yet it is because it's, it's that flossom word. It reminds me that, okay, I am flawed, but I can also be awesome. That there is, there is awesome and flawed all mingled in there. Oh my gosh. My head just exploded (laughs) because, because Kelly, you are beautiful and you are scarred. They are not separate. They are not one is except for the other. They are entwined. You are beautiful and scarred. I am beautiful and scarred as a mom. Right. We all are. Do you hear listeners? Do you hear listeners? (laughs) You're beautiful and you're scarred. (laughs) So I want to hear a little bit about how your tragedy and your experience as a child with being burned, being bullied, just the the self-esteem issues that you probably had growing up, how did that impact how you parent? Mm. 
Yeah. Mm. Oh my God, that's such a deep question. <laughs> that's why I asked it. <laughs> you, you put she is straying from the script. She is not, we are we are totally off our outline to confess. We are, we are just in the thick of it with you, Kelly. <laughs> oh my God. Stick to the script, okay? Don't <laughs> make it easier for me. It's, it's too good. Yeah, this is a hard question, but this is good. Yeah. Well, and I think quite one of the things that you're asking is, How did my kids feel about me being a burn survivor? Hmm. Well, I I wasn't asking that, but you can answer that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I was more thinking, all right, did, did the fact that you suffered so much make you more safety conscious? Did it make you more overprotective? Did it, did you not want your children to take risks because you were afraid they might get hurt or injured? Or did it make you more empathetic? Because if they were going through something hard, you knew what hard was. Things Mm. like that. Yeah. Yeah, Interesting. Okay. Um, Of course, definitely around the fire. Like it wasn't so much for me. I mean, around the fire, like we did a lot of camping. And so definitely I was more protective of the kids there and everybody's kids. Like nobody was allowed. No kid was allowed to put anything in the fire. And I didn't care who you were. I made sure that it didn't happen, right? So I was more safety conscious of that. But I don't believe that I was um, that mom that was like overprotective or everything. I I believe I was the mom that, you know what, this is your life and this is your journey and you're going to have to go through some stuff. <laughs> and And that's how actually how I feel about my daughter. It's her journey. And she's making decisions that she believes are the right ones for her life. And I'm making decisions based on what I think is right for my life. And so um, I believe that um, we all need to go through our journey, no matter what that is or can be. So um, it's interesting because I actually believe that sometimes my kids got annoyed with me that I wasn't very... Um, empathetic in certain cases Hmm. like for example my my kids would fall and hurt their arm well they would actually compare what happened to them compared to what happened to me and my daughter would even say to me okay mom I know what happened to me is not as bad as what happened to you and I didn't almost die but or like you did but still my arm hurts (laughs) you know yeah um so um so sometimes it made it kind of challenging even for me because I felt like maybe I'm not protecting them enough, <laughs> mm. right? I, I don't know. I don't know how to say what I mean about it. But, you know, because my kids would be like, well, mom, I'm hurting. I'm like, I know you are. Just put a Band-Aid on it. You'll be fine. Mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but when my son, for example, had a head injury, or had to get stitches and that happened a few times, then of course I was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do about this? And blah, blah, blah. And then I had more, um, I guess, empathy or sympathy for him as far as that went, mm-hmm. but it had to be bad. <laughs> right? yeah. like I, think, I think a lot of times we're too cautious as, as moms, mm-hmm. you know, like we don't want our kids to hurt. Well, the fact of life is they are going to hurt. Right. We are like, I'm sure like 
you know, my mom didn't want me to be teased and bullied and have to go through all the pain of all the surgeries and everything that I went through, but I had to. And now I'm at the point where I can teach other people what to do and how to get through it. I mean, I even lost a baby. I'm in between my daughter and my twin. I lost a baby girl at 28 weeks and, you know, and it was devastating, right? Losing my baby. And, but now I see the gift in it. And the gift is if I wouldn't have lost her, if we would have had her, we never would have had the twin boys. We would have stopped at the two girls. Mm -hmm. And so I see the gift in that. Um, I see the gift in me getting burnt is that I've been on stages around the world and you know, I've um, two TEDx talks and I won the medal from the queen and uh, I was nominated for entrepreneur of the year. And all these things have happened because I've chosen to take my story and make something with it. And I think that that's the problem with a lot of people is you have two choices. You can take your story and you can see it as a tragedy and it's going to hold you back in life, or you can see it as something that's going to empower you. Mm-hmm. And you can help other people with it. And, and a, a good example of that is with my son. Um, he was violated by a girl when he was 15. So it was a big whole me too type of issue with my son. And he was really quite upset and he was suicidal about it. And it turned out to be a whole big lie. And so anyway, so one day he's laying on his bed and I went and I laid down beside him and, and I'm holding his hand. And he said, mom, I didn't deserve this. Why did this happen to me? And I said, did I deserve to get burnt as a two-year-old? He said, no. I said, and what am I doing about it? He said, well, you're helping people. You're telling people your story. I said, exactly. And maybe this is going to happen to you someday. Maybe some young man is going to come up to you and say, this is what happened to me. Cody, how did you get through it? And I say, that's what our life is all about. That's why we are going through all this stuff is because we're learning how to deal with it. So we can then pass it on to other people. Yeah. Who was it? Amy, that quote, Amy, we, Michael Alsey, it makes me think of the quote, recycle pain into purpose. I think I attribute, we attribute it to him, but that's what you're talking about. Kelly is that pain is, or what I'm hearing you say is that how that impacted your children, what you went through is that you are allowing them to see that. I think many of us parents don't, we hover too much. You're allowing your kids to see that pain is in the world. It will happen, but can you recycle pain into purpose? I love that. I love that message. And and that's the whole thing. You know, my kids have seen me as a single mom. They've seen me cry. They've seen me, you know, struggle. They've seen the power cut off. Right? My, my son came to me one time, mom, why can't we tell anybody that we have no power? Are you kidding me? Like, I am so embarrassed that we have no power, right? Like, I don't want anybody to know that we had to go out to the dollar store and buy a whole bunch of candles so we could have light in the house, yeah. right? But that's life. That's life. And you can use that to empower yourself or you can use it and then hold yourself back in life. And I choose to use it to empower myself. And yeah, my kids have seen that we had no power. Oh, well, move forward. They also see me busting my butt. They've seen me be on Zoom. They've seen me, you know, gone 
speaking. They've they've seen me on stage. They've they've seen me do all these things. They've seen me persevere. They see that I don't give up. And yeah, and there are times when I feel like I'm a bad mom, but that's okay. They're gonna have feelings of being feeling like they're bad too, but we can all get through it. And that's what we need to understand is like have a mentor. You know, listen to your guys' podcast, right? Because I know you guys are putting out great content out there and 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 get people in your life that are going to empower you. And that's the problem is a lot of times people have um, people in their lives that are just, you know, being like negative Nellies and not encouraging them to follow their dreams, right? And that's what we need to do is have more people in our life that are going to empower us. Love it. So good. So we need to take a break and let Terry read a word from our sponsor. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about, so your story is about big tragedy and big scars and big, it's a big overcomer's story. I want to talk a little bit about small scars and those small Mm -hmm. things that eat away at us as women and moms and how, how we can shut those voices off. Sounds great. When we come back. Did you know that more than 6 million children in America have been diagnosed with ADHD? Many of them struggle in school because of their condition. What if I told you that poor attention may not be the primary cause of their struggles? In a study with more than 5,000 people with ADHD, researchers found that working memory, long-term memory, and processing speed were less efficient than attention skills in every age group of participants. So an intervention that only targets attention might miss the opportunity to work on those other skills we need to think and learn. Learning RX can help you identify which skills may be keeping your child from performing their best. In fact, they've worked with more than 100,000 children and adults who wanted to think and perform better. They'd like to help get your child on the path to a brighter and more confident future. Give them a call at 866-BRAIN-01 or visit learningrx.com. That's learningrx.com. And we're back talking to Kelly Filardo about her amazing story of turning tragedy into triumph. Um, So Kelly, I want to talk a little bit about um, how not all scars are visible scars and not all scars are big, right? And so some of us struggle with our weight, right? So then we're embarrassed to go to the swimming pool in the summer. Some of us have made, you know, mistakes as young adults or college students. And so we don't think because of the mistakes we've made that we're worthy to give advice or do certain jobs or so. So we all have these you know, scars, whether they're internal, psychological, or physical, that I think create barriers to what we want to do with our lives or create barriers to even looking to achieving our dreams, right? Talk a little bit about those and, and what your advice would be. Our scars, and you're right, like a lot of times it's those little scars that will hold us back from feeling like good moms or feeling like you know, we're doing great things in our life. And I still remember this one time, this was about, I think about nine years, eight or nine years ago. And all kinds of things started happening to me. My 
my husband started the divorce proceedings and now I was only able to see my kids every second week for a week at a time. We're doing one week on one week off. Yep. Um, so yeah, wasn't liking that at all. Cause I, you know, I was a, I stayed home mom, right. For a lot of years. So, um, my friend had committed suicide. I got into a car accident. I had absolutely no bookings as a speaker. I was maxed out to my credit cards and had no money at all. And I had just bought a new place. And I was thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? And I remember sitting on the end of my bed and I had my iPad and I was Googling about how to end my life. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And I had three three rules. One was my kids couldn't be the one to find me. The second was that um, it had to be painless. And the third was that it had to be final. And I um, couldn't find anything to achieve all three of those things. And I thought, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to get through this, this period? Something has to change, right? And I started thinking about my mom. She would have felt horrible if I had ended my life. She would have thought that she would have taken the guilt herself. Right. My sister would have said, if all Kelly needed was money, why didn't she come to me? We have money. Right. My kids would have blamed themselves. Right. My daughter would have said, if I was a better daughter, my mom wouldn't have wanted to do this. My my sons would have, you know, they'd be devastated too. Everybody in my life would have been devastated. And I thought, okay, how can I get through this? And I thought, you know what? I need to just do one thing. That's it. Just one thing. And then if I need to go back to bed, go back to bed. And um, so I would go and I'd, you know, look at my emails and someone sent me a thank you email and I wrote it down. Right. Uh, and, and then something else had happened and every day something would happen. So anyways, this, this one girl said to me, um, Kel, I'm going to give you a coaching call, a 90 minute coaching call. And so we talked and I didn't even know this lady. And she said, okay, I'm going to coach you. She said, normally it costs $20,000 a year to coach with me. I'm going to do it for free. And I'm going to get you through this, this horrible spot that you're in. And I said, okay. And so we met three days a week for about an hour to two hours a day. And she asked me one of the most profound questions ever. And she said to me, Kelly, why don't you value yourself? And I said, what? What do you mean? I value myself. I'm a speaker, right? My ego kicked in. My ego says, I speak to schools and I speak to women's groups and I share my story. I value myself. And she goes, no. She says, I think the reason you don't value yourself is because you're not making the money you want to make. And I was like, oh, right. It hit me right in my core because she was right. I had set a goal to meet, make a six-figure income three years in a row and still hadn't made it. And all my friends that are speakers are saying, Cal, you should be making more money. And I'm thinking, I was so mad. And she's like, okay, don't call me back until you know what value is. And I'm thinking, what the hell is value? <laughs> right? If it's not money, what is value? And in my family, I'm the oldest. And I'm the only one who's not a millionaire of all my siblings. And I'm thinking, what the heck, right? Like, I'm supposed to be the strongest. I'm supposed to be one looking after my siblings. They're not supposed to be looking after me. I'm supposed to look after them. And I was thinking, what is value? And then I started thinking about all the things I've done. So, for example, my first book, No Risk, No Reward, 
is in Africa. And they're teaching people, young teenagers, about self-esteem, right? And I thought, well, nobody in my family or friends is doing that. And then I thought about how another friend of mine, I connected him with all his family. They hadn't seen him in 25 years. They thought he was dead because he was drunk. And they told him, don't come back to the family until you're sober. And then he was like in, in the U.S. and his family was in Canada. And I reconnected them at our 25th school reunion, right? And then I thought about, you know, my other friend and how I helped him become a best-selling author. And then now he's teaching people how to be best-selling authors. And I wrote all of these things down. And the next day, and I emailed it to my coach because I always had to email my homework to her. And the next day I'm reading it. And I said, who is this chick? I've got to know her. Right? And I thought, oh my gosh, like, why am I so hard on myself? And so I sent it to my coach and we had the call in the morning and she says, I think you finally get it. Your value is not in how much money you make or don't make. Your value is in the acts of service that you do. It's in the things we do that gives us value. It's not in money. People place so much value on money and they think they're bad people if they're not making enough money. And I struggle with that. There's lots of times when I struggle with, I'm not making enough money or I need more money or whatever. And it's like, hold it. What else are you doing? Right? So there's a couple of things that I do. Um, one is I've definitely, of course, you know, gratitude. Like, you know, even my boyfriend the other day, because I was, you know, having a little pity party and I was sitting in my poopy diaper. That's what my, my friend always says. Are you going to stay in your poopy diaper or are you going to get out of it? Nice. How do I get out of my poopy diaper? Right. <laughs> and, and so he said, Well, what are you grateful for? And and you know, we just you know, grateful for where you live. Are you grateful for you know having a roof over your head? Are you grateful for the people in your life? Like, what are you grateful for? And and it's amazing how much that actually works when you actually start thinking about what you're grateful for. But one of the other strategies that I use to get out of my poopy diaper is, <laughs> is I have what I call my happy land. And so happy land is like a 30 second visual. Like it's like a little movie that I play in my head. So for example, uh, when I was going through my divorce, of course, you know, divorce was horrible. And uh, there were times when I couldn't even stand to see my ex-husband's name. If I saw his name, it instantly would trigger anger. And I thought, this isn't good. I can't do this, right? I can't be in anger because I'm a speaker and I'm a I, I need to be able to motivate myself. I'm motivating other people. How can I, you know, I need to motivate me too. So what I did is I changed his name on my phone and I changed it to poor soul. And then the next time I would see his name pop up, I would say, oh, my gosh, what's poor soul doing? What's he, what's he up to? What does he need? Right. And I, I wasn't I didn't get triggered by anger anymore. So just doing that one little simple trick helped me to shift my mindset so that every time I saw his name, it didn't bother me. I mean, now now his name doesn't bother me. It doesn't trigger me. So I can call him by his real name and it doesn't bother me. But that was one of the first things that I did. Now getting back to happy land. So another thing that would happen is that 
you know, he would text me or phone me and we'd maybe have an argument or it didn't go the way we wanted it to. I had this happy land visual. And basically it was a date that I went on with this guy and he was so good looking and he had a red convertible Porsche. And so he came and he picked <laughs> me up. And this is true, right? Like it's a true thing. He came with the red convertible Porsche and we went and got some lunch and we had a picnic and a bottle of wine. And so every time I think of that visual, I do a whole mindset shift. Right. And so that's one of my one of my second strategies is have a happy land. And so I keep track of all these different situations that make me really happy. And sometimes it might take watching it, like thinking about it in my head, like four or five times in a row, but eventually it'll happen. And music is the same thing for me too. That's Mm -hmm. a, that's a third thing for perseverance is have empowering songs. And, and uh, even when we were doing my documentary and I was having a meltdown and so they said, okay, Cal, go do what you got to do and don't come back till you're ready. And there was this one song that I played and I played it like five times over to get me out of that. Like, cause I was crying about something um, and it shifted me physically into then being happy again. So those are three, three of the things that I do when I'm having those little scar moments and, and need to deal with them. Yeah. That's great advice. What's, what's the song? <laughs> the song. <laughs> well, the song is Pretty Vegas by In Excess. Okay. okay. Yeah, for, and it's just really high energy. I call it a blood thumping song. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Well, we'll all have to look that one up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. That's great. <clears throat> um, you actually had a couple, you have a free, a free download, an ebook, right? And I think it's, seven seven steps author.com yes and you list you list like these ways help me out um one of them is that you make a list of all your favorite things right and so like i remember thinking that's a great idea because Mm -hmm. when we when we are upset we can't always think of what is it that we can do right now to cheer ourselves up right because like your amygdala hijacks your prefrontal cortex when you're upset right and you can't reason and so if you actually have a list pre-made you know of your favorite things so i think your list said things like what's your favorite ice cream your favorite song your right your favorite thing to do your favorite hobby whatever um, so that you can just pull up your favorites list and choose something um, to get yeah, out of Yeah, and actually, mood. yeah, exactly. I had like the, the Perseverance Toolkit. And I yeah. actually had a little card deck made of it because, you know, it, you can just pull out one of the little cards and it'll tell you like, go listen to your favorite song or go plan a vacation or, you know, all these little things just to kind of physically do a mind shift. Right? Because sometimes we get stuck, like I said, in my poopy diaper. And mm-hmm. it's like, how do you get out of it? right? How? So yeah, definitely. Um, Actually, it was funny because a few years ago, I did that on Facebook. And I would always say, what's your favorite color? And then people would all put their favorite colors and every day would be a favorite something. And in fact, um, I actually did that with my daughter too. This was quite a few years ago, but I was doing it with people that I was getting to know when I was dating. And I was like, why am I not doing this with my kids? And I actually did it in um, a mother-daughter workshop too. And in the mother-daughter workshop, same type of thing. We had like uh, yellow sticky notes 
And I had a list of like 30 questions and then the moms and daughters would each answer what their favorite color was or their favorite movie or their favorite something. And it was just awesome because they passed the note back and forth to each other and put it on a page and could keep track of, of, you know, their favorite somethings. And what was cool about it is that the moms and daughters didn't realize how much they didn't know about their son and their daughter. They thought they knew everything. Right? They thought they knew everything about their mom or their daughter. And it was like, oh, I didn't know my mom loved watching hockey. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that is such a fun idea. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. That would just be super fun. Like on a, yeah, I'm thinking on a sticky note and then just stick it on your window, you know, like to do with the kids sitting around the dinner table or okay. whatever. Hey, everybody put, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite dessert? You know, and that'd be super yeah. fun. I love that. So yeah, tell us is. about your new documentary. So the documentary is called Still Beautiful. And it is based on my life story. So they even recreated my accident of me getting burnt as a two-year-old wow. and recreated some of my hospital scenes and the school scenes. And they follow me right along to speaking to a group of 3,000 teenagers. And um, so, yeah, so it turned out really awesome. I was quite excited. Like I was quite impressed with how well they did it, especially the recreation. Like, because keep in mind too, as a two-year-old, I didn't remember how I got burnt. Yeah. A lot of people asked me, do you remember it? And I was, no, I don't. I don't remember it at all. And so it was really quite challenging for me to watch because they had four different versions of me. <laughs> so, um, and the hardest part for me was seeing that little two-year-old that didn't have any scars Right. And then, you know, watching the whole thing of, you know, my mom running out and be, you know, crying and upset and wrapping me in a blanket and taking me to the hospital and everything. And um, yeah, it was just, it was phenomenal how, how they did it. They did a fantastic job on it. How did that come about? Oh my God, this is so funny. So what happened was, um, what, four, four or five years ago? Well, it was before Wayne Dyer passed away. So what had happened is I wanted to meet my favorite authors. And so um, on Facebook popped up a, a conference that Hay House was putting on on how to write a book proposal. And Wayne Dyer was one of the speakers. And it was in Maui. And so I said to the universe, okay, I want to go, but show me the money. Because I didn't <laughs> have the money at the time, right? Because I was broke single mom at that time. And so... Uh, the next day or so I got a check for like $1,500 and then my credit card limit got raised by a thousand bucks. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay, fine. I get the hint. I'm supposed to go. So I booked my flight, booked the conference and everything, found out how to write a book proposal. And then they were having a contest and someone could win a $10,000 publishing contract. Well, I didn't win the contest, but I said to myself, okay, I didn't win the contest. Why else was I supposed to write this proposal? What, what else? And so I heard that little voice in my head say, email Brian. Now, Brian works for a broadcaster here in Canada called AMI. And they, um, so I, I sent them, I sent him an email and I said, hey, I just wrote a book proposal for my book called Still Beautiful. I'm being encouraged to make a documentary out of it. I don't know if this is something you're interested in or not, but Maybe you guys are interested in it. And so he said, yes, send it to us. There's no stupid ideas. Wow. So I sent the proposal over to them. And sure enough, they called me back and they said, okay, 
do you want to produce it yourself or do you want to co-produce it with us and we'll put money in the pot? And of course I said, well, I want the money. (laughs) So let's co-produce it. And that's what we did. And so two years later, we finally had the documentary and it aired all across Canada. And yeah, it was just, it's a beautiful documentary. They did a fantastic job with it. And so how can, how can our listeners see it? I love story. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I love the story of how it happened. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, like, it's, I love looking back at the domino effect of things, you know, like how one thing led to this, that led to this, that led to this. That's mm-hmm. one of the things I just love. Um, if you're in Canada, you can watch it on AMI's website. But if you're not in Canada, we're still trying to find a broadcaster that's willing to air it. So we're still working on that, trying to get it outside of Canada. Okay. But how can you have a book that goes along with the documentary? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so that's available widely anywhere. Yeah. It's on Amazon. You can go on Amazon and, and yeah, order the book. It's so beautiful. And what's really cool about the book is that I actually put the scenes from the documentary in the book. Oh, good. Yeah. So you're actually reading the documentary instead of, watching it um and then we have like 22 other authors that share their stories about feeling so beautiful oh i love that yeah Yeah. kelly is there anything you'd like to say that you haven't gotten to say to our listeners today well you guys have been asking the the best questions ever so thank you you guys are like awesome hostesses um the one thing i would love to to wrap up with is that dreams are meant to be found not tucked away in dreamland and it's a quote that I came up with many years ago. And it's just like, it's so true because I remember, you know, my grandma saying, you know, your dreams are never going to come true and stuff like that. And so I just want you to know that, yeah, your dreams are meant to be found, not tucked away in dreamland. Okay. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. So this has been super inspiring. Um, what a great conversation. Terry uh, cried through the whole thing. Um, and so <laughs> if you want to see Me that, <laughs> if you want to see all of that emotion, you can watch us on YouTube. Um, I'm a psychologist, so I'm used to hearing the stories, right? <laughs> so, but what a wonderful conversation that we've had. I, we want to thank you, Kelly Filardo, for taking time out. Um, sharing your experience and your encouragement and your wisdom for our listeners. If you all would like more information about Kelly's work, her website is kellyfalardo.com. That is F-A-L-A-R-D-E-A-U. But we will actually put that um, in the show notes. You can also find her on Facebook at Kelly Woodhouse Falardo and Instagram at Always Beautiful NFT. What does the NFT stand for? It stands for a non-fungible token. Okay. So, yeah. So basically, it's a. I'm also an artist along with the speaker, and so yeah. So it's a, it's a way for me to sell my artwork on in the crypto space. Okay. Nice. And your your artwork is beautiful too. The blankets that you make for um, burn victims, um, just absolutely gorgeous. Okay. So we will put all of her links and those handles in the show notes. So thank you so much for listening today. If you liked our show, we would love it if you would leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Like I said, if you would rather watch us, we are on YouTube. You can find us on every social media channel at The Brainy Moms. So look, until next time, we know that you're busy moms and we're busy moms. So we're out. See ya. See ya. Thank you.